Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Excited to speak to an award-winning documentarian and the author of Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson. James Buddy Day has put together an impressive career, and it's as good as anyone when it comes to heavy subjects. The Manson issue is 50 years old at this point. The Manson murders are celebrating the 50-year anniversary, and James Buddy Day, if I'm not mistaken, is the last person to interview the cult leader and the famed, late, infamous Charles Manson. James, welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I dig your show. Yeah, thank you very much. And listen, I love what you guys are doing. And whoever your crew is have put together an incredible career. I mean, and by the way, heavy subjects. What was your first impression of Manson when you first met him? Any surprises? I mean, you were prepared. You had seen a lot on him. Any surprises when you first met him? Well, the first time I talked to him on the phone, it was just surreal. I had no idea he would actually call me. I kind of wrote him a bunch of letters, you know, as kind of a Hail Mary, thinking like, hey, maybe he'll call, maybe he'll write, who knows? And then so that first time he called was just surreal. And I remember he he, uh, said, uh, I said, hey, Charlie. And he said, hey, man. And I said, how's it going? And he said, groovy, you dig? And I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Charles Manson, I'm actually speaking to him on the phone. So it was more surreal than anything else. Yeah, it's, you know, the type of thing. But actually, maybe the fact that you approached it that way is why you got him. You know, I just saw something recently where he never was willing to see his son, you know, Jay White or uh, Charles Manson Jr., whoever, you know, whatever you want to call him. But he wasn't willing to see him and he wasn't willing to see, I think, Jason Freeman was his grandson and was never willing to see him. But he talked to you. I mean, you've got to feel somewhat privileged, but you also built up the trust, I guess, with the letters and the phone calls and the persistence. Any reason why he spoke to you in your mind? You know, I don't know. I mean, I did approach him from from an open frame of mind. I kind of heard this rumor that he thought, he talked about in interviews, I guess. So I heard that he he thought that he was innocent. And so I kind of approached him that way and said, hey, man, you know, if you're innocent, tell me about it. You know, I want to hear this. And when I heard that he was innocent i thought that was the craziest thing i'd ever heard but i thought it would make a great documentary and and as a small digression the documentary you're talking about jason freeman charles Manson, the funeral i also directed that one Oh, I didn't so. know that. I was just watching that. that yeah. Terrific. Wow. Great yeah, work yeah. on that. <laughs> you know, amazing to me, the work that you've done. Look, and I've seen a lot of people, and I watch everything on Manson. You've done the best mm-hmm. work I've ever seen on him, and, you know, congratulations oh, thanks, on all of that. It's complicated, because I imagine there's part of you that you don't, you know the victims' families are still there, and the, the sisters, Sharon Tate, and you. I'm sure you approach mm-hmm. it where you don't want to be insensitive to them, but at the same time, if you don't approach him in a certain way and give him some kind of, you know, journalistic, 
from your standpoint, a journalistic leeway, uh, how are you going to get a guy like this to talk? And how are we going to get any information that we haven't had before? So I think your approach is justified and no argument here. Have you had pushback from people saying, hey, how dare you Mm -hmm. give this guy even a forum? Do you get anything like that from your standpoint? You know, not really. And, you know, I I think at the end of the day, like, I'm not a Charles Manson apologist. I'm not looking to celebrate him or, and I don't look at him as as like a patsy or something like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the justice system in America is not about seeking truth. It's not about finding out what really happened. It's about securing a conviction, regardless of the truth. And then once those elements are established by a prosecutor, they become, quote unquote, facts of the case. So I think, you know, one thing that's interesting that I try to do as a documentary filmmaker is try to look at all these cases and try and see what the real stories are beneath everything. And and in terms of the Manson case, I, I have spoken to most of the victims' families. And, and you know what? They've been relatively receptive of my approach in that I'm trying to find out what really happened. I'm not looking to celebrate Manson, or, but I am trying to find out the truth uh, of the Manson story. Yeah. Juliosi, well, actually, before I do that, let me remind yeah. folks who were just tuning in a little late or turning on their radios a little late, James Buddy Day is our very special guest. Thrilled and honored to have him. He has done better work on the Manson situation and on the Manson murders 50 years later than anybody that I know or just as good as anybody that you can come across. And he's the last to interview Manson. And, you know, again, it's a story that won't go away and shouldn't go away. It's fascinating. It really ended the 60s. It ended the flower power movement, which is, you know, just in the harshest way. And again, Frank McKay here with James Buddy Day. Let me just get back to the innocence end of it. You could make an argument. You could make an argument. And again, I'm not a Manson apologist either. He's a maniac. He's an evil guy. You know, no question about it. There's no redeeming factor. about him being a good person. I don't want to say that at all. But at the same time, the same way you could make an argument for anyone being innocent who wasn't at the scene, these were adults that went in and they listened to him. Obviously, they took his lead. You really can make an argument that he wasn't guilty of murder, maybe conspiracy to commit murder, maybe, you know, something else. But on these particular seven you know, cases, you can make an argument, not that he was innocent, but that he was not guilty of committing these murders. Yeah, I mean, well, there's nine murders in the series of the, of the, quote, the Manson family murders. Right, I'm nine, sorry, nine. nine I, I said died. seven. And, yeah, no problem. And, and, but in the case of the nine, four of the murders Manson was at least present for uh, enough to make you guilty uh, under the rule of felony murder, which means if you're if you're present for a felony and you can commit a murder, and a murder happens, even if you leave, you're still guilty. But the five murders that are very questionable are the Sharon Tate murders, and those are the ones that Manson was really nowhere near. So it was a big deal, and people don't realize that at the time, back in 1969, uh, the prosecution had a really hard time finding a law finding a way in which the law would deem his conduct illegal because he didn't actually order the murders by saying the words. The prosecution admitted he never actually said the words. They contended that it was his ideology that was more or less the catalyst for the murders, which is bordering on a thought crime. So so they had to find a way to make him 
be guilty for those murders under the law, and they really had to bend the law to do it. And that's where you get into some really interesting conversations over whether or not this guy, who we all consider to be the most evil person on earth, is actually guilty or not. Yeah, Bugliosi, let's face it, from his standpoint, in some sense, he was shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, there was no way he was not going to convict this. I mean, the amount of publicity that was there, and he was just playing into their hands, attacking, you know, running after the judge or the bailiff or whatever he did in there, and then, you know, shaving their heads and putting the X. I mean, this is what society, even hippies, weren't sympathetic with what he was doing. It was a very niche market that had any sympathy for what Manson or followers were doing. People, it was an easy conviction. But from Bugliosi's viewpoint, from how I see it, he was just dying to be famous and he was planning on being, he couldn't wait to be, you know, well-known and get this book out and be rich and famous and everything else. So whatever yeah. he said, yeah, was, it, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a big part of it. You know, a movie star had been murdered in Hollywood, uh, not in Hollywood, sorry, Beverly Hills, in her home. It was a huge deal. Uh, it was terrifying. The people of Los Angeles were terrified. Julio C. was incredibly ambitious. He saw that this was his meal ticket. So, uh, yeah, the Justice Society, he absolutely sought to make this a big, bizarre, extreme case. And, and as evidence, I mean, I've talked to the prosecutor who worked alongside him, and he said, oh, 100%. Julio C. thought this was his meal ticket. This case was going to make him rich and famous. And he'd hired an author to write a book about it, Kurt Gendry, who eventually wrote Helter Skelter. Uh, he hired that author before the trial even started. And, and the, the author was sitting in the front row of the trial. And I talk about that in my book. Um, you know, Julius is supposed to be doing the work of the people, and he's obviously conflicted because he's really trying to better himself through this trial. Yeah, everyone has to get this book By the way, hippie cult leader, the last words of Charles Manson, anyone who's interested in this or in the justice system or actually there's so many different aspects that people could find fascinating about what this man's work has done. But James Buddy Day has really put his mark, his historical mark on what we know as, you know, really the most fascinating murder case in modern times. And we're still talking about it. We're still (laughs) we're still seeing movies that are touching on it. It's just absolutely an amazing event that happened 50 years ago now, and James Buddy Day is the last to interview Charles Manson, the the ringleader, the planner of these murders. Let me get back into Manson for a moment. You spent a lot of time talking to him, or a decent amount of time talking to him. Did he care about legacy? Was he thinking about how he's going to be remembered, or how things are going to be remembered? Did it cross his mind that, look, I'm dying, I'm you know, 80-something years old at that point when you're talking to him. He, mm-hmm. he had to know he was sick. He had to know he was... I won't put words in your mouth or words in his mouth, but I yeah, assume yeah. he knew he was sick and he knew he was dying. Was he kind of shaping his legacy in his mind to you when you spoke with him? He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Well, I don't, I don't, I mean, he certainly knew he was sick, and I don't know that he knew he was dying. Um, he, I, and, and to be honest, and I've heard mixed things, I never really spoke to him directly about his own mortality, I guess, but he, um, you know, he often said kind of cryptic things, like he didn't believe he actually died, and just kind of changed from one form to another, or something along those lines. But 
But he was definitely aware of his own infamy, um, and he was definitely aware that people were afraid of him because he was, quote-unquote, Charles Manson. So, so he, you know, he never said, you know, I'm really concerned about my legacy or anything in, in those kind of concrete terms, but he was definitely aware of his infamy. He's aware that he was very famous, and he kind of has this pride in that. So I think his story, in some ways, was really important to him, and, and it was a source of frustration that people thought of him as this, you know, cult leader who wanted to start a race war. He, he definitely did not like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just fascinating, every every aspect of this guy's life. And I hate to be so fascinated by it, but it is. I mean, it just, i mm-hmm. got to be honest, it's just, he's a fascinating character. Let me ask you about some of, and I don't yeah, know yeah. What, whether you would know this or not, but there's always sure. been talk and rumors that Charles Manson would get seven marriage proposals in a year, you know, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Obviously, there were people on the outside of the jail, the in the society, and we see with the shootings and different things like that, you know, how sick people really are. How big a following does he have? And what is this true, that he was yeah. getting this fan mail and he was getting proposals and, and everything else? Was this true? And how open was he to sharing that with you? Uh, well, there's a lot of truth to it, actually. And, you know... Um once I kind of got to know Manson, he would get my phone number out, and then I would start to talk to other people and get to know other people that knew Manson. And, and then I did a many documentaries about Manson and got to know all these kind of groups of people around him. So he amassed quite a large following in prison. Um, and basically what would happen is, you know, he kind of got this reputation through Helter Skelter and the movies and media as this dark messiah, and people were drawn to him because of that, mostly kind of disaffected white men, um, and they would write him letters. I, I don't know that he got an enormous, an enormous amount of uh, marriage proposals. I'd never heard that. But, <laughs> but you know, a, lo- a, lot of, a lot of disaffected, young, kind of middle-aged white men would write him. Uh, he would befriend them uh, and get them to do favors for him. They would sell things on his behalf, uh, you know, his personal items, and give him money for it. Um, he created, like, a major industry of kind of, friend, of friends uh, within prison. And, I mean, the guy was in prison for 50-some years after 1969, and, or almost 50 years, and, and he, uh, he needed help on the outside. So if anyone was willing to write him a letter, uh, and uh, he, was, he was open to talking to them, uh, if they were willing to do stuff for him, because he needed help. Um, another thing he used to do, would he would when someone would write him a letter, he would give the letter to another inmate, and the inmate would kind of take on a Charles Manson persona, and then the pen pal would think he's communicating with Charles Manson, but he's really communicating with another inmate, um, and uh, and and Manson would use that to garner favors with other people in prison. So he had he had a whole like Charles Manson industry in prison. Yeah. And James Buddy Day is the voice that you're hearing, and he's an award-winning documentarian, and his resume is a mile long. The book that everyone has to get is Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson. This is the last man to interview Manson, and it's quite a feat. So many people trying to get to Manson, and James Buddy Day got there and was the last to do it. Frank McKay here with James Buddy Day. Let me ask you, James, 
Where's yeah. the best place for people to get the book? I assume Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Or yeah, our Amazon and Barnes and Noble is best places. Uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, and you can get it in Barnes and Noble bookstores uh, as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, everywhere well, fine books are sold. Well, everyone's got to get this book. And if I know you kind of just got off a plane, but and whenever you got to go, just cut me off. But I'll talk to you, yeah, yeah. keep you forever. <laughs> let, let me go back to you know Manson and the legacy or the people that he's kind of touching outside. And again, these are disaffected yeah. people. Did you have any fear yourself that while you were doing this and while you were getting in touch with them, and again, I don't want to give any nuts, any sure. ideas, but did you have any fear yourself that, hey, you know, I'm putting myself on the radar screen for an awful lot of crazy people. And, you know, again, it's an international stage. And there are people that have been paying attention to this and probably people that you and I wouldn't want any, knowing <laughs> that closely or anywhere near us or knowing where we live. Did you have any kind yeah. of interaction with any of these folks? Yeah, I've had interactions like that. <laughs> um, you know, not, uh, some Manson people and some, I mean, I do a lot of true crime. So I, I, I speak to a lot of inmates and I speak to a lot of um, people accused of, horrible things um so there's a reason that like i'm not uh you know i try to stay off social media and things of that nature but um yeah i i mean i i've i don't know that i've ever been in a situation where uh, a physical situation where i've really been like afraid of for my safety or something like that but there's definitely been a lot of there's definitely been some people that i've come across and interviewed and then had to distance myself from because they were unstable for one reason or another. Yeah. How about pushback from Manson himself? Did you ask him anything or did you touch on anything where it struck a nerve and he snapped back at you and you kind of had to pull back before? Oh, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I, well, yeah, I mean, he he wasn't like, uh, you know, I would talk to him very uh, all, all at all times. Sometimes I talk to him multiple times a day, and sometimes I talk to him multiple times a week, and sometimes it'd be months between the times I talk to him. And you know, he, he would be in a different mood every time. Sometimes he'd be really cordial and open to questions and talking about things. And other times he'd be really pissed off and angry. And I remember I talked to him one time, and he was super angry and just yelling at me and telling me we, you know, we're not friends, and you know if you either smuggle me in a cell phone or stay away from me or do this and do that. And I, and he hung up and I thought, Oh, well, that'll be the last time I talked to him. And then he'd call me again a few days later and as if nothing had happened. So, so I mean, yeah, you t I touched nerves with him all the time. <laughs> it was more, but it was more about the kind of mood or he was in at that time. James Buddy Day, once again, is the voice that you're hearing. Hippie cult leader. The last words of Charles Manson is a must for so many different people. You have to get this. It is getting rave reviews for good reason. And the work of this man is second to none when it comes to covering the 50-year-old now murders the nine uh, nine people that uh, were murdered in, in association with the, the family and, and so forth. Frank McKay here with James Buddy Die. If you walked away, let me remind everyone you're listening to Breaking It Down. James Buddy Day is our, I might have said James Buddy Guy, James Buddy Day is our very special guest, and he is the author, once again, of Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson, of Charlie Manson, and is it Charlie Manson or Charles Manson? What's the title? His name was, oh, the book, name of the book is uh, Charles Manson, 
yeah, his name okay. was Charles Manson. Right, right. I call. I mean, anyone, most people that knew him called him Charlie. Yeah, did you call him Charlie or Charles? Yeah, I call him Charlie. I say, hey, Charlie, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when he snapped at you and then he'd call you in a couple of days. I assume just no apologies from him, right? No oh, reference? No, yeah. Yeah. no, no, he just, as if, you know, that was the thing. I mean, I remember, you know, you'd talk to him and, and um, sometimes he'd just call and be like, hey, man, how's it going? Other times, you know, it would, the phone would click on. It's like an inmate system, and and then the phone would click on, and he would just be in mid sentence, and he would just go for fifteen minutes. Your phone call cuts out after fifteen minutes, so he would just go for fifteen minutes. I barely get a word in, and you know, it was just whatever mood he was in that day. You know, I consider you the sanest person on the subject of Manson. So let me just ask you outright: How do you rate yeah. his intelligence? I know so many people would say, "Oh, this guy's." beyond brilliant and some people would say no he's, he's a nut he's just where do you rate him on the intelligence scale this is breaking it down with your host frank mckay on 1071 wlirfm hampton bays well i would i wouldn't you know i wouldn't call him beyond brilliant or like a genius but i wouldn't call him a nut either i mean i think the thing that, that most people don't understand about him is that his whole trick was that he would just reflect people back to themselves so whatever you brought to him, he just kind of spit that back out at you. So I've met so many people, you know, who, who talked to him or knew him. And then, you know, they'll say, oh, my God, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was really religious or he was such a father figure or he was such a, you know, he was he's so spiritual or he was so. And it, what they don't realize, it's like, yeah, but that's what you brought to him. And he just gave that back to you. So. So really, when people kind of tell you what he's like, they're they're more just telling you what they're like. Yeah, yeah their interpretation of him or what they want yeah. him to be like, even. You well, well and he, he and he uh, he uh, was really aware of this. Like he, this isn't something. This isn't necessarily just this insight that I had into him. He talked about it. Like, and and if you go back to interviews, um, you know, from going way back to the '60s, he talks about it in depth and. And if you meet, you know, I, I've gotten to know people who knew him really well, like 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 Squeaky or or, um, or uh, Bobby Pusley or people like that. They are very aware of it too. This is this is what he did: is he he took whatever you brought to him and he gave it back to you. Yeah, and James Buddy Day once again is our very special guest, hippie cult leader. The last words of Charles Manson is the name of the book. It's a must-get. Everyone get it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Anywhere they sell great books. This is a great book. It's getting great, rave reviews. Everyone must get this book. Frank McKay here with James Buddy Day. You mentioned Squeaky. She is still available? Is, is she out there? Is she, What's Squeaky's She's not, uh, she, was par- she was paroled in uh, 2009, um, and then she lives in in kind of an undisclosed location now. Um, she lives a pretty quiet life. She, she wrote a book, um, came out, uh, I think last year called reflection with an X, um, which is really good. She self published it. Um, and it was a book that she started writing in 1969 and just finished in recently. Um, and yeah, I've gotten to know her really well. Um, and, uh, just collaborated with her on a new documentary, um, on oxygen called um, Manson the Women. Yeah. In some ways, and maybe the simplest explanation for what his skill was, was that he was a high-end pimp 
you know, he used the, you know, and again, that's maybe an oversimplification of what mm-hmm. what his skill set was. But really, he utilized the women. And even in Squeaky's case, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, George Spahn, yeah. and again, I'm, you know, just going off of what I've heard report yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going off of Quentin Tarantino alone, right? But yeah, <laughs> which was interesting, if nothing else. But Squeaky was doing a very, you know, important job for the family. She was keeping George Spahn happy. And I almost, you know, in the movie, in the recent movie, Once Upon a Time and in Hollywood, you could almost see George Spahn saying that. You could, you know, like, what are you bothering yeah. me for? She takes care of me. She's, you know, I love Squeaky. She loves me. You know, she, you know, it's in some ways you almost hear those words coming out of George Spahn's mouth. How about you? I mean, you're so close to the situation here. What do you think of the characterization of how George Spahn was characterized yeah. by Quentin Tarantino? Well, I, I'll, I'll say this with the caveat that uh, I, I did see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and really loved it. I thought it was a great Me movie. Me too, yeah. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, but in terms of its accuracy, I mean, it's not accurate no. in any way, shape, or form. No. Um, the, the only thing that uh, was accurate in terms of Squeaky was that she was called Squeaky. Oh, <laughs> um, no that, that's it. Oh, I mean, oh, so she wasn't sleeping with Spawn on a steady basis. I mean, she no, I, I mean, no. I mean, I mean that that line that she says uh, in the movie um, to uh, Brad Pitt is is actually a line from Helter Skelter um, uh, that that she's that she kind of says to Vincent Bugliosi to shock him. Uh, you know, she wasn't sleeping with George Spawn. At least uh, I, I haven't found any evidence that she she vehemently denies that that is true and. I've talked to many people on the ranch who say, no, that wasn't true. Um, she, uh, you know, there wasn't, in terms of that movie, there wasn't, George Bond didn't have a TV. Um, you know, his house was actually really clean. That was kind of one of the, one of the hallmarks of his house is that the the women really cleaned it, took care of it really well, and, and all took turns sleeping up there in the main house. Um, and uh, in terms of Squeaky's relationship with him, yeah, I, I, she was really close with George, and she's always said it was because she didn't get to know her grandfather very well, and and um, and really uh, saw him as like a grandfather figure and took care of him as such. But You know what's amazing is all of this, and again, I follow it, I watch every documentary I can on this, and here I am still with the impression that Squeaky was basically entertaining him, constantly entertaining him uh, sexually. And um, what you just said there is just a paradigm shift from my standpoint. And let me remind everyone, James Buddy Day, is an absolute expert on the Mansing murders. He's done documentaries and series of films on the situation, on the whole situation. But the book, his most recent, is Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson. It's a must-get, Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble, anywhere they sell great books. Get James Buddy Day's book, Frank McKay here. Thrilled to have him for a couple moments more. But, you know, think about it. We have we have gotten so much propaganda. And when I say we, I don't mean you. Mm-hmm. You've sieved through all of it. But people like myself and people that are less curious about it than I am have gotten so much propaganda. And a lot of it came from Bulliosi. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, that. there's, no, there's no question that, uh, in terms of your response, there's no question that uh, Squeaky stayed up at the main house with George Spahn. Um, a lot of the other women did as well. She wasn't alone by herself. Um, you know, when they got there to the ranch, as the story goes, his house was in a lot of kind of disarray, but they really cleaned it and stuff. 
Um, in terms of having sex with George Spahn, um, I know uh, I have spoken to some women who said, yes, they took care of him from time to time. Um, not necessarily as a means of control, but like, you know, they, they did that with all the men at the ranch. Um, but in terms of Squeaky herself, um, she says, no, she never did. 100% never did. Um, and um, in, where it comes from is it comes from a line in Helter Skelter where they, in, in the book, um, Vincent Bugliosi drags Squeaky in for questioning. And she tries to shock them by saying that exact line from what's right, right. time Right, which uh, we can't say here, but but she, uh, <laughs> but she said right. He uses that line. Yeah, no question. Tarantino created a fairy tale. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen the ending. But I was almost disappointed with that aspect. It was a great movie. I saw it two days in a row. Just I had to, and I loved it. But again, I was expecting something much different. But I, you know, I found it fascinating. Everything that I see on Manson, I at least have to check out. And I don't know if you're the same way. I mean, are there things that you just completely disregard being in your situation? Are there things that show up that you won't watch because you can predict what it is? Or do Uh, do you have to look at everything? Not really. I I try to look at everything just to see from my own morbid curiosity to see what they got right, what they got wrong, more or less. Um, You know, um, I have a hard time making it through, like, the kind of, you know, the the mainstream documentaries, you know, I watch like the recent Very Scary People on Manson and, and um, the CNN show and, and the ABC special, things like that. And sometimes I have, a, I have a tough time making them through them just because they're so not, they're so factually just, they're just loose with the facts and it just bugs me so much. Um, but I try to get everything and I, I definitely read all the books. I read Chaos. I read um, the uh, Diane Likes book uh, most recently. I, I try to read all the I mean, there's a lot of kind of illegitimate books from Manson that come out, but anything relatively legitimate, I try and read. So, I, I mean, I stay up on it for sure. We have a couple moments left with James Buddy Day. He's just off a plane for a long trip, so I don't want to keep him too long. But Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson is the book. Frank McKay here with James Buddy Day. You know, I don't want to give away anything real secretive in the book, let everybody buy it and read it and so forth, but what's the biggest misconception that we have of either Manson, the murders, or the quote-unquote family that you think, you know, should be cleared up, if anything? Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. Well, I think um, the idea that Manson was this kind of psychopath traveling around California, handpicking teenagers into some sort of homicidal organization that and then kind of using this, you know, that he, this Beatles this Beatles race war philosophy to get them to kill. I mean, that's the whole, all of that is wrong. So I, I think, I think the, the most interesting thing about the entire Manson story is that 
everything we kind of think we know about it isn't really true. It's become this kind of folklore um, with really, it's kind of remotely based in something real, but isn't really real. So for me, I mean, that's what's really interesting about it. And I mean, because there's so many people involved, there's always stuff to learn about it, even doing the, mo- even doing the book and the most recent documentary I did, which is my third documentary about it. I was still learning stuff and meeting new people and getting new perspectives. So, but I mean, it's an incredibly complicated story and there's lots to, lots to know about it. When was the last time in this journey of yours that you really learned something new where you really said, whoa, wait mm-hmm. a second, I have this wrong and let me change my viewpoint on it. When was the last time that happened for you? I mean, it happens all the time. Um, I, 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 one thing that just sticks out of my mind is in this last documentary I was doing, I, I just did a documentary recently with uh, Gypsy, uh, Blue, Snake, and Squeaky and uh, called Manta and the Women. And um, one thing they, they really, that I hadn't really realized is they were talking about this idea that they thought there was going to be like a, a, a revolution in Los Angeles um, in terms of like, not, not a race war per se, but like a French, like the French revolution, they kept saying. There, you know, this idea that the civil unrest in Los Angeles was such that they were, they were very much convinced that Los Angeles may devolve or kind of decompensate into this this revolution in which um, you know um, the marginalized people would kind of rise up and and how real that was to them and how much that fed into them relying on each other and starting to distrust people who are outside their group and how much that kind of fed into that idea of they had to protect themselves and, and how much that fed into the murders. And I hadn't really heard that perspective before, and I thought it was really interesting. Who won't talk to you, for example, like Patricia Sorry? Crent? Who won't talk to you out of the Manson folks? Who, who won't talk to you? Yeah. Oh, um, I've never spoken um, to Leslie Manhattan, um, understandably, just because her parole situation is so tenuous. Right, right. Um, that, um, so I've spoken with her lawyer extensively, um, and tried to kind of reach out to people around and gotten to know many people that know her and around her um, and to learn her story that way. Um, I've never really, you know, I've never really, I think I've written a letter to Patricia Krenwinkel, but I've never really pursued a conversation or talked to her that that much. Um, and uh, I've written, tried to reach out to Tex, um, who's, you know, kind of become this born-again Christian um, and not, he, he is doesn't have any interest in talking to me, which understandably, um, but that's about it. I think, um, yeah, I, I would love to talk to Linda Kasabian. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Uh, I, I, I got her on the phone once and she just hung up on me. Um, but, um, I spent a lot of time with her lawyer, which is a big part of my book. Uh, to kind of really learn the, the, the intricacies of how the deal went down with her. Right, let me ask you this and then I'll let you yeah. go. James Buddy Day, again, is the author of Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson. Frank McKay here with the award-winning documentarian. And again, he just the best work on Manson has come from this man, James Buddy Day. Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson is an absolute must. How many of the folks that you're talking to are talking to mm-hmm. each other? I mean, I can't imagine that... 
Uh, it, you know, you mentioned that the lady who, mm-hmm. Lake, Diane, Lake, Diane yeah. Lake, that she would keep in touch with Squeaky and vice versa. I mean, there's a lot of conflicting <laughs> yeah. feels there on what they feel about Charlie and everything else. But how many of them are together? Is there anybody that lives together yet? Yeah. No, none of them live together. Um, some of them do keep in touch, though, for sure. Um, kind of small pockets of them keep in touch. Um, I don't know that Diane Lake really keeps in touch with anyone. Um uh, that was part of the group. Um, but definitely others of them do. Um, you know, um, uh, Bobby Beausoleil is still in prison, um, still very close with Catherine Scherer. Uh, uh, and but uh, is still, uh, Squeaky is still close with um, with Sa- uh, Sandy Good and, and some others. And, and um, uh, when I, uh, I spoke a lot to Kathy last year before she died, and she was still close with others. So, I mean, one, one, one thing I think people don't understand, too, is that it wasn't, uh, when you think back to what the group was like in 1969, um, the, the group kind of got started getting together in 1967. And from 1967 through to the summer of 1969, it was really good. And and even the, the ones like Diane Lake who kind of look back and, and, and were, were victimized by the group later on, they look back and, at the early, the first two years of the group and say, you know what, the first two years were pretty good. We you know, we, we were really happy. We, uh, it was a lot of love and, and kindness and friendship and, and, and they still have a lot of affection for those times. And Charlie was playful and happy and everyone was good. It took a turn for the worse for sure. And, and it escalated into the murders and, and got really bad, but people don't realize that the early part of the group was really good. And even when you speak to people like Dylan, like they look back on, the women and those times with great affection, um, despite how it turned out at the end. What's your next project after this? What's your next Manson-related project? Um, I don't know what my next Manson-related project is. I, I'm sure there will be another. I didn't think there would be one after the first one. and That was three documentaries and, and a book ago. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I'm sure there will be another one. Uh, my next project is... Um, going to be uh, for Oxygen, and um, it's a follow-up. I can't talk about what it's about, but it's a follow-up to the last project they did with Oxygen, which was the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. So it's another project with Oxygen, not about Susan Cox Powell, but um, something um, kind of similar. So um, that's going to be my next project, and then uh, and then uh, whether there's more Manson in my future, we'll see. Yeah. Well, listen, just a great job. Congratulations on a really an amazing career that you've put together. Give us a website or a social media site. Oh, you, you said that you're not involved with social media, but give us a website or something where people can No, no not really. Uh, you, can, you can definitely look at our company, uh, Pyramid Productions, uh, which is, I think the, has a Twitter handle. I think it's at, at Pyramid Pro or Pyramid Pro TV or something. And uh, the website is pyramidproductions.tv. Listen, the guest we've had today is just a thrill for me to talk to him. He's just done such great work. James Buddy Day is the man I'm talking about. Shocking Truth, a bunch of episodes there. And, you know, Manson the Funeral, Charles Manson the Funeral, which is excellent. I just was watching it right before we started this conversation. Sex, Lies, and Murder. Oh, yeah. Just amazing. Just everything this man touches is gold, and it's just uh, tremendous. But the book that everyone has to get is Hippie Cult Leader, the last words of Charles Manson by the last man to interview him, 
and thrilled to talk to him. James, thank you very much. Everyone's got to get the book, and thank you and congratulations on all the success. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I hope to get you back for a part two one of these days and, and get into some more sure. of it. Sure. James Buddy Day, once again, hippie cult leader. The Last Words of Charles Manson is the book. Everyone get it. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.